Welcome, my true crime roadies. I'm your host, Angela Baum, along with my husband, Larry, and this is Trucking True Crime Podcast, a true crime show where we focus on true crime stories that happen within the trucking industry. But don't worry, you don't need to know anything about the trucking industry to listen and enjoy the show. You just need to be a fan of true crime. And if that's you, then welcome inside. As a reminder, if you'd like to learn more about our life over the road as team truck drivers, you can listen to our other podcast, Married to the Road, where we share our lives over the road and stories along the way with our three furry dogs. As a reminder, our podcast discusses true crimes and murders. This is not a show for the faint of heart, and this is not intended for young audiences. Welcome in all my true crime roadies. Welcome to Trucking True Crime Podcast. I'm your host, Angela. And I am Larry. Welcome in. Don't be afraid. Everything's going to be fine. Oh, now they're freaked out and creaked and they want to leave. Don't leave. (laughs) Just get scared. (laughs) Be intrigued. (laughs) So this is our first podcast and we should probably introduce ourselves in case people are not familiar with who we are. But we are team truck drivers. We are out here over the road. Usually, lately it's been two to three months at a time. Easy three months before we go home. Yes. So we're over the road more than we are in our own home. But we love it out here. We have our three dogs and it's just the two of us. Our kids are all grown and in the military and all over the United States. So With kids of their own. Exactly. We have 12 grandchildren. 12 grandchildren. <laughs> Four different states. Yes. And a lot of you guys know us from Married to the Road. Uh, we have Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, and uh, now we're doing our podcast. And then we also have a radio show on TNC Radio every Wednesday night called Tail Lights with the Bombs. And that's really cool because we get to interview different drivers and people from the trucking industry. And it's always a good time because we, we always have interesting guests. And we were booked up for like the next two months with guests. It's awesome. That is awesome, except we're not going to have a guest on Wednesday because we are going to be at Matt's. Well, not this well, Wednesday. Well, yeah, the Wednesday we're at Matt's, But yeah. that one Wednesday we had to cancel because uh, we're doing something different. We're doing something. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I can't wait for Matt's. Speaking of Matt's. Mid-American Truck Show. That is the end of March, uh, March 30th and through April 1st. In Louisville, Kentucky. Yes. So if you're going to be at the Mid-America Truck Show, Please feel free to reach out to Larry and I. We would love to see if we can meet you. We, I will be working uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday for a couple hours each at the Real Women and Trucking booth. And then Larry's is going to be at the TNC radio booth. And I'll be there too when I get an opportunity. But my, my main goal this time is going to be Real Women and Trucking because I am a board member of that. And you are awesome. And that is an awesome group. It is. So we're So excited. I've been driving for 18 years. Are you sure about that? And then I brought you on yes. eight years ago. Yes. So eight. now we've been together on the truck for eight years. And, long, long. And I am so shocked that I'm still alive. Hey, does that mean I'm a bad driver? No, I'm just saying you do all this true crime podcast. Oh, yes. And I'm sure you have a million ways to kill me and hide the body. He always jokes because 
he has a, a medicine container where I put all of his prescriptions in. It's one of those things that says like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And he always jokes because he never knows what's in his pill container. And he's allergic to penicillin. So he always jokes about, he probably threw in some penicillin or some cyanide and killed him because you listen to all that true crime stuff. Yeah. And I would just take whatever's in there. Yep. So I started. I'm a trusting soul. <laughs> I started listening to True Crime podcast podcast right when i became a truck driver mainly because you guys know we're on the road for so long you're by yourself most of that time and for me all my friends and family work during the day so there's really nobody i can talk to or call so i'm like well what do i do for 10 hours a day i need something that's gonna keep my mind active and interested and so for me i like mystery and intrigue and i like true stories so i really got invested in true crime stories and for the longest time i've wanted to do a podcast in the last few months i started doing research i'm like there is not a trekking true crime podcast hmm. Hmm, there is one now there is one now and what's it called trekking true crime podcast trekking true crime podcast <laughs> that was a hard name no and, seriously and not all of them are going to be about truckers that are killers no absolutely there's not. going to be some that are truckers that are victims that's right and we do want to state for the record that we are truck drivers ourselves and by no means are we saying that there's truck drivers out there you know the, all of us truck drivers out there are serial killers you know we're saying one yeah, we don't condone serial no killers. <laughs> uh, i like captain crunch <laughs> but it makes for great research and a great podcast yes okay let me just say i had no idea how much research and how much time it takes to make a podcast so hats off to everybody that's been doing podcasts it's a lot of work it's easy for me yeah because i do all the work <laughs> I love it. <laughs> like literally just so you guys know how our show is gonna work is i do all the research i type everything up i organize everything and larry has no idea what the story is gonna be every single week until you guys hear it live here yeah. And then he gets to react and make his comments. And so it's kind of fun for him because I'm doing all the work and he has no idea what the heck the story's going to be about. I'm her puppet on a string. Puppets. <laughs> so we should probably get into our podcast for today. I do want to mention um, a few things. First of all, we do have an Instagram and TikTok account. Our name is Trekking True Crime Podcast. We are also working on getting our website put together. Should have it done later on this week. And we will have a merchandise store up where you guys can get t-shirts and merchandise from there as well. Um, my sources for this story come from the following. And I will be putting this in our show's notes. Uh, the World's Most Evil Killers, Season 4, Episode 14, Wikipedia, and Driven to Kill the FBI Files. Ooh, driven to Kill. <laughs> Okay, Sounds so. like a trucker to me. <laughs> yes. So our story begins on a dark night in Casa Grande, Arizona. And this was on April 1st, 1990. And this is on a highway that you and I are very familiar with. Highway 10 in Arizona. The I-10. Yes. So set along the lonely highway was a semi-truck. The semi-truck was sitting in the dark on the side of the highway with just his hazard lights on. When an Arizona Highway State Trooper, Mike Miller, was driving down Interstate 10 when he came across a suspicious-looking truck sitting along the side of the road. Seeing the semi-truck with its hazards on, State Trooper Mike Miller thought, mm, maybe this trucker was having mechanical issues or something was wrong with his truck. 
Did he have his triangles out? He did not. That's a no-no. Exactly. What raised his suspicions on the truck was that the truck was off on the side of the road, but he did not have his orange triangles out on the roadway. Oh, I should have waited. Let you keep reading. <laughs> Most truck drivers who are experiencing any type of mechanical issue or breakdown know that by law they are required to place out orange triangles. These are to warn the motoring public that the truck is currently having mechanical issues and to go around the truck. So after not seeing the orange triangles placed out and only seeing the truck's hazard lights on, this trooper thought that this was a strange situation that needed further investigation. So when Trooper Miller first got out of his car, he did not see the truck driver anywhere around the truck or in the driver's seat. Trooper Miller did not see anyone in the cab of the truck, anywhere around the wooded area that he was parked near, just could not find the trucker anywhere. And so as Trooper Miller was walking around the truck, he thought that he heard some strange noises coming from inside the cab of the truck. So Trooper Miller stepped on the side step of the truck with his flashlight in hand, started shining his flashlight around to see if he could see anyone inside the truck. What do you think he saw? Uh, nobody. Okay, so yeah. I'm like, where's the truck driver at? He stranded on the side of the road, got his hazards on. Because I would say he was probably sleeping in the back with the curtains closed. Ah, that's true. You know, they didn't mention whether the curtains were open or closed. So that's, good, that's a good question. So in the back of the sleeper, <clears throat> Trooper Miller saw a naked young woman. She had a collar around her neck, and she was chained to the back wall of the sleeper. When the victim saw the police officer, she instantly began to scream. And the truck driver, who was back there with her, immediately closed the privacy curtains. Ah. Aha. So he should have closed them in the first place. Yes. Not let everybody see his business. He is not very smart. <laughs> the truck driver, who we found out was Robert Ben Rhodes, said there was nothing to see. That they were just two consenting adults just having a little bit of fun. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> Miller, confused by what he had just witnessed, told Robert he needed to get out of the truck. Absolutely. Good trooper. <laughs> so once back outside, Robert again tried to explain that they were just people having a little bit of fun. But Trooper Miller was not buying any of that. At this point, Robert does inform the officer, however, that he has a gun in his pants waistband and he is ordered by the trooper to hand it over. Trying to figure out exactly what is going on, Trooper Miller put Robert in handcuffs in the back of his patrol car. Going to check on the victim, who he later found out was Kathleen Vine. Kathleen was bound by a collar around her neck and chains hooked to the back sleeper wall. Inside of her mouth, she also was gagged with a cloth. And police also found a briefcase that was filled with paraphernalia used oftentimes in a rape kit. Okay, you're going to love what they found inside this sucker. By the way, he was OCD, so it was all put in there very nicely. <laughs> <laughs> but inside he the kit... keeps his toys nice and orderly. <laughs> yes, he keeps his rape kit very organized. He's very OCD. Kind of like <laughs> Dexter. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So inside the kit, they found bloody towels, a horse bit, clamps, fish hooks, wires, and more items to torture his victims. A horse what? Bit. A he would make bit. them put it in their mouths. Oh, the metal thing yes. that goes in a like, bar? Yes. How they control a horse and tell the horse which way to go. Oh, nay. <laughs> okay, <probably>. <laughs> <laughs> That was good. 
So after speaking with Kathleen, she was seriously so scared of Robert and all that she had been through that she did not even want to press charges because to her pressing charges meant that she would have to face him in court one day and then have to relive the experience all over again. And it's so sad because that happens so much. That is so sad. Well, what's really sad is it happened more than once to this gentleman. So he, he yeah, you'll, you'll understand shortly. <laughs> During the interview process, they also realized that Kathleen oftentimes seemed delusional. She thought they thought that maybe she had some mental issues and they were worried that she may not be a credible witness on the stand. <clears throat> During the interview process, Kathleen, who was 27 years of age at that time, described to detectives how she had been picked up only an hour before the police officer found her. She was hitchhiking at a local truck stop when Robert offered her a ride. Robert, using his charm and his wit, soon made Kathleen feel at ease enough that she got into his semi-truck. But before too long, he had pulled over, overpowered her, raped her, changed her to the back of the sleeper. During the struggle, Kathleen described how she tried to bite him on the neck, which the police officer later did find bite marks on the side of his neck. <clears throat> this is my voice here. Kathleen also told the police how Robert had confessed to her that he had been raping and killing women just like her for over 15 years and laughed about how he had never gotten caught. Robert also made her call him, I'm putting this in quotes, whips and chains, which he said was his official CB name. Can you imagine driving down the road and be like, hey, Breaker Breaker 1-9, this is whips and chains. What's going on, man? That would be scary. <laughs> yes. What kind of name is Whips in Chains? <clears throat> when, I'd be like, this is Sorcery and Magic. <laughs> sorcery and Magic. <laughs> They're both S&M. Okay, that's good. <laughs> when police spoke to Robert to try to get his side of the story as to what happened, he claimed, and again I'm using quote marks, that she was a lot lizard that he had picked up from a local truck stop. That she had to ask him for a ride, and when they started driving, that she began to come on to him. So he did what any man would do, and he pulled over to the side of the road for a little adult action. Well, he had to accommodate her. <laughs> so how did he, how did we get to this spot? Where Robert is an over-the-road truck driver who likes to torture and rape women. Soon to be known as the truck stop killer. Well, let's go back to his childhood to discover what made Robert who he is today. So Robert was born in 1945 in a small rural town in Iowa. During his childhood, he was mainly raised by his mother, as his father was a Marine who was stationed in Germany. The relationship between father and son was very contagious. C uh. Contagious? Contentious. Contentious. Oh, can't talk today. <clears throat> Robert claimed that his father was very verbally and physically abusive towards him. Robert even hinted that his father may have been possibly sexually abusive towards him as well. When his father was discharged from the military, he then became a firefighter in their small community. By all accounts, Robert had a normal childhood. He was very active in regular school activities. He even was in everything from football to choir and the French club. His peers that attended school with him said that he was a pretty normal guy, other than being a little bit socially awkward. 
at the ripe old age of 16, Robert got into his first little bit of trouble by getting arrested for tampering with a vehicle. Now, when I read this, I'm assuming that means he was like breaking into it to steal it. Uh, breaking in to steal like what's ever in there. Yeah, because it didn't say like he actually stole the car. It just said tampering with tampering evidence. With the... So that was my assumption. Yeah, I would say like maybe he saw a purse sitting on the seat. Oh, yeah. Maybe some change in the console. Change in the console. Back, Back then, then it was eight tracks. Eight tracks. I'm just going to say eight <laughs> tracks. Yeah. <laughs> so then he gave it the age of 17. Robert was arrested a second time, but this time it was for getting into a fight at school. Then at the age of 18 years old, Robert just graduated high school when his father was arrested, the Marine. And that, and what exactly was he arrested for? Well, believe it or not, his father was arrested for sexually abusing a 12-year-old girl from their small town. While waiting for his trial to begin, Robert's father decided to commit suicide and shot himself in the head was a better option than going into court to try to fight his charges. He just didn't want to go to jail and get raped himself. Yeah, he took the coward's way out. Yeah, he did. So after grieving the loss of his father, Robert decided to follow in his father's footsteps and also join the Marines. Robert was in the Marines for several years when he suddenly was dishonorably discharged in the late 1960s for robbery. After being discharged, Robert went from job to job trying to find something that fit him. He worked everything from restaurants to warehouse worker and more. Also, during the 1970s to the 1980s, <clears throat> Robert wound up finding himself married three times. Now, here's the thing that got me. <laughs> Maybe it's your first red flag. So, in a 10-year span of time, he was married three times. Does that not say something? Yeah, who does that? Yeah, Larry. <laughs> During this time, he did wind up having a son with his first wife, but by all accounts and that everything I was able to research online, it does not look like Robert took an active role in his son's life. Father fo followed his father's footsteps. Yes. Which, let's be honest, it was probably a really good thing for his son that he didn't have his father in his life. Yeah. <laughs> so several of Broke Robert's the cycle. Yeah, yeah, broke the cycle of abuse. Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. Several of Robert's wives confirmed that he was very abusive to them, both physically, emotionally, verbally, and sexually. One of his wives had a chronic illness. She had lupus. And Robert gained sexual pleasure and satisfaction from seeing her suffering in pain from her disease and illness. A couple of his wives also stated that Robert started joining the BDSM communities and would force his wives to attend parties and get-togethers even if they didn't want to. And I'm assuming you know what BDSM means, right, honey? I'm not sure what it stands for, but I'm sure it's like group sex parties. Yeah, whips, chains, torture, bindings. Oh, all the good stuff. <laughs> okay, I believe the fifth on that one. Ah. Robert's last wife said that he even went so far as to buy a male sex slave for her knowing full well that she wanted no part of the BDSM community. Robert was so enthralled by the BDSM lifestyle 
that that is where he got his nickname that soon became his CV handle, Whips and Chains. Makes all kinds of sense now. <laughs> exactly. I kind of threw you off at the beginning when I said his CV handle was Whips and Chains, yeah. but now you get it. I get it now. It's got like a gray thing going on. Yes. Fifty Shades of Grey, my favorite show. <laughs> <laughs> book. No, I like the book better. Uh, Robert's first confirmed victims occurred in January of 1990. They were Candace Walsh and her husband, Douglas Zykowski. Now, I want to say, before I forget, when I say his first confirmed victims, these are victims that passed away. He had been torturing and raping women for 15 years. But this is when it turned from rape into, now I'm going to progress to killing people. So his first victims were Candace Walsh and her husband, Douglas Zykowski. This was a young couple that were hitchhiking in Texas, and Robert decided to pick them up. It was not too long after picking up this young couple that Robert shot and disposed of Douglas in Sutton County, Texas. Sadly, the body of Douglas would be found would, would be found, but not identified until 1992. So from everything that I found in my research, they, were, they found Douglas's body shortly after he was shot and disposed of on the side of the road. But for whatever reason, they weren't able to identify his body for almost two years. Wow. So his poor family had to sit there and suffer and not know where he was at. Yeah, they didn't have all the resources they do now. <clears throat> no, didn't have the DNA technology. Uh, Robert kept Candace as his prisoner for over a week. During this time, he was torturing and raping her on a daily basis. Finally, he did wind up killing Kansas as well and dumping her body in Utah off of a highway. A few weeks later, Robert picked up another woman. Her name was Shayna Holtz. She was an 18-year-old hitchhiker. Shayna was tortured by Robert in his truck for over two weeks as his sex slave. Finally, one day, Robert forgot to restrain Shayna while he was at a brewery going in to get his bill of ladens. Shayna took this opportunity and she escaped. <clears throat> Excuse me. Knowing that she, oh wait, I'm sorry. While she was inside getting his paperwork for his brewery, she knew that she was not restrained and so she escaped. Shayna did go to the police, however, and she did identify Robert as her rapist and person that captured her. But sadly, again, after thinking about the case and realizing that at that point there was no more physical evidence of the abuse, Shayna also decided not to proceed with these charges. In her mind, it was going to be a horrible case of her word against his, and honestly, she was not sure if she could withstand that in the courtroom. So that is now two victims of Roberts that were too scared to come forward and say, he's the man that did this to me. Yeah, the one last one, hopefully it was the last one <clears throat> that the police officer caught him, and the first one so far. Yep. First one that escaped. Exactly. On February 5th, 1990, in Houston, Texas, a man was driving down a road where he saw a young, bruised, and bloody woman flagging him down. That woman was Nicole Tuttle. Nicole Tuttle was a young teenage girl who told the man that was driving the car that she had been kidnapped. Nicole also told the police officers that six days prior, she was hitchhiking when Robert offered her a ride. Robert was a real charmer. He made her feel comfortable and safe with him. Before too long, she felt so comfortable that she fell asleep in his truck. When she woke, she found that she had been stripped naked, chained to the wall of his sleeper inside of his truck. And for six long and torturous days, 
Robert terrorized, raped her, and sodomized her. Nicole also told officers how Robert had said that she was not his first victim and that had a briefcase of tools that he was proud to show off and use on her. Inside of the, inside of the briefcase, they found handcuffs, knives, duct tape, fishing hooks, and clips that he used to torture this woman and many more, many more items in his killer kit. After getting a good description of what Robert looked like and the truck that he was driving, police in a neighboring town pulled a truck driver over matching that description. They quickly grabbed Nicole, put her in the back of the police cruiser to make sure that she was safe. Once they got to the location where the trucker was pulled over, Nicole denied that he was the man that had assaulted her and they had no choice but to release the truck driver. Later on at that hospital, Later on at the hospital, while Nicole was being treated for her injuries, Nicole admitted that the trucker that they had pulled over was indeed Robert Ben Rhodes. He was actually the man who had kidnapped her, but that even with the police there to protect her, she still did not feel safe from him. The thought of having to relive her nightmare and all of the pain for court was just way, way too much for her to bear. She begged the police to quit searching further for him. All she wanted to do was to go home and be with her family in California. So that is victim number three. That let him get let away. Let him get away. Yeah. If only they had been brave enough. On that very same day that he got pulled over and she escaped. Very same day. A young couple, a 14-year-old Regina Watkins and her 18-year-old boyfriend, Ricky Lee Jones, were also hitchhiking. They were a very young couple in love that were running away from their parents because it was a Romeo-Juliet situation Aww. where they weren't allowed to be together. So Robert, in his semi-truck, decided to pick up this young couple. Again, it was not too long after he picked them up that Robert had killed Ricky Lee, whom he viewed as his competition. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now, Regina's mom, her name was Caroline. She knew that something was wrong immediately when she could not get a hold of her daughter, Regina. Over the years, it was no secret to anyone that Regina had been known to run away, but she had always kept in constant contact with her mom, always informing her of where she was at. Now Caroline could not reach her daughter, and no one in their town had seen or heard from her either. Now, six days later, Regina's parents start getting very strange phone calls from a man claiming that he has Regina. The calls were meant to taunt their parents. First call was telling her father that he had to make some changes to Regina by cutting her hair. And just so you guys know, this is a good time to tell you, if you go to our Instagram at Trekking True Crime Podcast, at the very top, if you click on Robert's page, it's going to show you all the images from this story. It'll show you the pictures of Robert and his victims, including Regina, and what she looked like before he cut her hair. And the reason I'm telling you this is there's a very haunting picture there. The first one shows Regina with her beautiful, long, reddish-brown hair. And then the second one is a picture that was taken right before he killed her, and she looks absolutely terrified. He cut all of her beautiful hair off, made her look like a boy, had her dressed in a black dress, and she looks terrified. It's the saddest picture I've ever seen of anybody. Yep, and it was thing. the last story, it's the last photo that her mother has of her. Aww. So please be sure to go over to our Instagram. You can see all the pictures of every podcast that we do. I'll put those there. 
so anyway, I'm sorry, back to the story. Um, <clears throat> so he just called Regina's father and said that he had to make some changes to her by cutting her hair. Then a couple days later, he called Caroline, Regina's mother, and told her that he wanted her to meet him at a local convenience store the next morning and that he would give her more information on how she could finally get her daughter, Regina, back. The next morning, Caroline waited at the gas station for over two hours, but the man never showed up. One last phone call was made to her father. The male voice on the other end told him that Regina was dead and that he had left her in an old abandoned barn. In October of that year, a farmer up in Bond County, Illinois, off of Highway 70, was going to burn down an old dilapidated barn on his property. He had not been inside the barn in years, but it was becoming in such a sad state of repair, he decided the easiest way was just to burn the barn down. So he decided to climb through the barn to make sure there was nothing inside that he wanted to keep before he started the barn on fire. As he was looking through some hay, he soon discovered some skeletal remains and immediately called the police. After sending the skeletal remains off to the coroner's office, they soon learned that this indeed was Regina Watkins. Regina was killed almost a year before and she had died of strangulation from bailing wire that he had wrapped around her neck. Regina's body also showed that her hair had been recently cut very short, just like he told her father. Regina was listed in the Illinois Jane Doe database with all the information of what she looked like and her approximate age. Soon the police department sent out teletypes to all the law enforcement agencies with people who had missing people that might fit the description of Regina and might fit her profile. A detective working Regina's case had an immediate feeling that this body that they discovered in a barn might be the body of Regina. And so detectives working with the FBI soon started to develop a theory on who may have killed Regina. Soon working the profile, they had a profile of a sexual sadist a wanderer, and because the barn was located so close to Highway 70, they thought that it might be a truck driver. A few months later, a skull and a few sets of bones had washed up on the banks in a city in Texas. The skeleton had a bullet hole in the side of his skull, and after doing some investigation, they figured that the remains belonged to Regina's boyfriend, Ricky Lee Jones. That's sad. That's so sad. So it took him... Almost a year to find poor Regina and then almost two years to find her boyfriend who was just an innocent bystander. So based on the trekking routes that Robert drove from 1975 to 1990 and also all the women who went missing during that time period and who matched the profile of the type of women that Robert liked, he is, he is suspected of raping, torturing, and killing more than 50 women throughout the United States. And that, my friends, is why he is called the Truck Stop Killer. Wow. <laughs> okay, that was a great story. It was good. It's sad because you feel so bad. I, I, It's like I feel bad because I wish those four women had had the courage and the strength to, to say, yes, that's him. He's yes. the man that did because had they done it, it could have saved so many lives. So, so many lives. the way you started it? Yes. With that trooper that pulled, that, so they caught him. Yes. Okay. Because I, I was kind of lost. Yes. 
they caught him. Sorry, they caught him. They caught him. Okay. So now, now <laughs> we go back. Now we go back to the end where the trooper, the beginning of the end. Okay, I must have deleted the last paragraph. But yeah, let, let me finish that off for you. So yes, at the end when I said that they captured him, that was yes. So they caught him, and he wound up nine months later. Um, after they did all the investigation, they wound up charging him, but they were only able to charge him with two counts of first-degree murder. He's still in jail today. He's still alive. And if you go to Instagram and you click on his profile picture in our highlights, you will see a photo of what he looks like today. And I'm not kidding you, Larry. He looks like the scariest person in the world. First of all, he suffered a couple strokes. So the one side of his face droops. But seriously, even in his late 70s, he looks like one of the scariest people I've ever seen in my life. He looks like a serial killer. He does. He does look like a serial killer. So, yes, he's still in prison today. His health is very poor. But, yes, he was found guilty only on two counts of first-degree murder, though, not four. That's... But two counts will keep him in for life. Yes, he got so... life in prison, so he's not going anywhere. So he's done for. No more killing <laughs> on his watch. Okay, so our my first mistake on our first podcast, I forgot the ending. Sorry about that. I think I accidentally deleted it. Well, I said that was a pretty good first shot. I agree. <laughs> I can't wait for the next one. I will give you a hint. So next week we're gonna we're actually gonna record that podcast next. So we'll have we'll be a, a week ahead of time. But next week's podcast is a twist because next week's podcast is not a truck driver that's a serial killer. It's somebody that kills truck drivers? You got it. Whoa. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we hope you guys enjoyed our podcast. Again, this is just something fun for Larry and I to do. We're both true crime buffs, and we figured why not start telling stories about trucking uh, serial killers or just truck drivers who were killed in general. I think that would be a lot of fun. And this was our first <laughs> one, so hopefully you guys will follow us and track our progress. Absolutely. And let us know if you have any stories or uh, suggestions of stories that we should cover because we really, really appreciate that. So if there's a good trucking story or one you think we should cover on our podcast, be sure to let us know. And please, 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 wherever you listen to your podcast, please be sure to hit the follow button because that will notify you every time that we put out a new podcast. Oh, can I say it? Can I say it? Can yes. I say it? Yes. Like, follow, and share. <laughs> Thank you. Good one. <laughs> And don't forget that we do have our Instagram and TikTok accounts up and Facebook. It is Trekking True Crime Podcast. And by the time we have our second podcast episode out next week, we will have our merchandise store and our website up as well. But the website address is TrekkingTrueCrimePodcast.com. Doesn't get much easier. It's a tongue twister, but it doesn't get I'm much easier. I'm going to have a hard time remembering that. I know. That's a lot of words for you. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Truckers True Crime Podcast. Trucking. Trucking. True crime podcast. Trucking. <laughs> true crime podcast. Yes. All right. You Maybe guys... by episode 25, I'll get it right. Absolutely. All right. You guys be safe out there. We'll have another episode for you up on Saturday. Thank you so much for giving us your time. And all my true crime roadies, be safe out there. Thank you so much. And as always, be safe out there. Have you ever been interested about what all it takes to be a truck driver out here, delivering the goods all across America? Or more importantly, what is it like being a team trucker out here with your significant other 24 hours a day in a small confined space? 
working together, eating together, sleeping together, you name it. If you've ever been curious about the trekking industry, please listen to Larry and I's other podcast, Married to the Road. Again, that's Married, the number two, the road. Please be sure to give it a listen today and don't forget to hit that follow button. Thank you so much, my true crime roadies, for giving our podcast a listen. We really appreciate you listening to our Trucking True Crime podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to visit our Instagram page or our TikTok page, also Trucking True Crime Podcast. And don't forget that you can visit our Facebook page as well. Again, Trucking True Crime Podcast. Be sure to like, share, and follow, and be sure to share out our podcast to all your friends. We'll be back here next week with another great episode. Thank you so much, my true crime roadies. Be safe out there.